You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news, the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Tuesday the 5th of April, Grand National Focus today, as you might expect, with senior writer at the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead, who I'll be talking to shortly. We will hear from uh, Jim McGrath out in Australia, has an exclusive for us with trainer Chris Waller. We have our regular uh, Tuesday segment with Weatherbees, of course, Nick providing that for us. But we do start with the Grand National and with Gordon Elliott. As things stand at the moment, we've had our latest confirmations stage. We know a much more likely Grand National field. We know now that um, top weight will be carried by last year's winner, Manella Times. And as far as Gordon Elliott goes, well, he could have as many as nine in there. Uh, they are Battle Over Doyen, Coco Beach, Death Duty's 41 on the list, so not guaranteed a run at this stage. Um, Delta Work, Ascaria 10, Farclar, Mount Ida, Run Wild Fred, Sam Crow. So could have as many as nine in there. And I'm pleased to say that Gordon joins me now. Gordon, is it the intention to, to run all those nine if Death Duty does indeed get a run, or could there be some late changes? Yeah, it's about the one horse we're, we're, we're just not sure about yet is Battle Over Dying. He could run in the, in the Tottenham on Friday, so he's maybe the one horse that is there 50 50 to run, if I'm being honest, Tom, you know. Uh, um, you know, is, is, that a, is that a trip thing? Is that a ground thing? Just the nature of the race thing? Yeah, I suppose if the rain came, they're, they're, they're given, you know, it definitely would lean us towards the Tottenham, but. Uh, for me, I think the trip could be a worry. I think the Tottenham could suit him. So um, at the moment, we might be just leaning a little bit towards the, the Tottenham. But um, you know, there's a lot of water to go on the ridge between now and Saturday, as you know yourself. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There, there could be a bit of water to go on the ground as well. I mean, where where from a few days out as as we're sitting now? I mean, do do you want the the rain to come ideally for the majority of your horses or not? I don't really mind to be honest. I suppose the one horse would inconvenience is because very soft. Might be run wild friends, but the rest of them. I'd say that he's good form and soft ground as well. But the rest of them probably be rain wouldn't bother them. Um, so I, I'm not really worried either way, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's not going to worry Delta Work. I'd. He he seems to be the you know the horse everyone everyone's talking about. I interviewed um, Ted Walsh on on Sunday. He's the horse that he's worried about. I guess he's you know he's following that Tiger Roll path, isn't he? He is. Yeah, Superverse went the same path as well. Um, He's come out with Cheltenham very well, and we're very happy with him. Um, luckily, he has plenty of weight and eleven stone eight. But uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know it's, it's compressed enough. You know, there's only you know really a stone between top and bottom, so it's uh, it's not that massive. You know. Mm. I remember interviewing you before the the, the cross country, and you know, I, I I couldn't help but get the sense that you half felt given the ground that, that Delta Work was was the more likely winner out here and, and Tiger Roll and he and he duly went and won and he just seems a rejuvenated character. Yeah, look, I suppose the ground went his way in Cheltenham, but um, you know, it's hard to get away from his you know, his previous fifteen starts were in great one races. So I think you know, stepping back to obviously the cross country race and, you know, back to a handicap here is um 
obviously uh, we're hoping he'll find it a little bit easier but um, no it's a good race and a competitive race and we're really looking forward to it to be honest Alright, Ascaria 10 was, was second to the aforementioned any second now last time how, how do you assess his chances? Uh, I think he got a great chance um, he was very good with the blinkers the last time on him first time um, I think the race was two from him. You know, if you got a bit of luck in running for the first mile, you never know. But uh, he's got a nice weight in 11 stone, so we're, uh, we're looking forward to running him, you know. And how, where where did you have him um, for that Bobby Joe last time? Did, was he 100% or, or, or did you have the Grand National in mind? Uh, look, to be honest, to be running in them races, Tom, you have to be pretty fit, you know. He was pretty fit, as fit as I could have him without a run. But obviously we've been training for the Grand National all year. Um, but you know, if you if you start going them them great races, seeing your seventy percent fit, you know you're you're uh, you, you, you can't compete if you are. You know, he was as fit as I could have him without a run. He would have come on from the run, and he's in good form. And we're looking forward. Far class and 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 run wild, Fred. They ran against each other uh, last time um, in in the Troy Town. Um, I mean, as far as far class goes, that that was a, that was a while back. Always the plan to keep him fresh for this. Yeah, we kept him fresh for all year. Um, you know, he was fifth, obviously, in the race last year. I suppose rain would be a concern for him. If, if a lot of rain came, would be a concern for him. But Runway Fred, you know, I think he'd handle it better in far class. He was second in the Irish National last year. And, you know, he ticks a lot of the boxes for the race. And he's in very good form. I think Davey Russell's going to ride Runway Fred. So that's, that's always a plus as well. And um, Dennis O'Regan jocked up on on Mount Ida. Is is the case for her obvious enough? She's she's got plenty of class, and you know I know things didn't pan out. She went to a right a bit at Cheltenham, didn't she? But on her day, she's very good and a strong stayer. She is, and the triple suitor. Um, you know, uh, we've uh, treated her back obviously since she came home from Cheltenham. She's a bit sore after Cheltenham, so we've got the physio and we've done a big good bit of work with her. But she schooled well the other morning, and she's in good form. Um, I think Dennis and Silver, so yeah, she she obviously when it came your last year, she's got good form. I know I'm gonna miss one or two, so apologies in advance. But if if somebody had sat you down three years ago and said you'd be running Sam Crow in a Grand National, would you have thought that was likely or not? Ah, this he obviously the last couple of years have to have been hit and miss with him. He's, he's had very bad problems with his sinuses. But um he's had a, a little job done with him and um, he wasn't back cantering long before he ran it down royal the other day and we had to run him to qualify of the race, Tom. So, you know, we probably, he's come on well from us. And um, he seems in good form at home. But, you know, he's a classy horse in the race. If he ever came back, the only one his best, you know. Mm. Is, is he capable of staying a Grand National trip, Gordon? And look, I suppose that's a little bit on to, in the unknown. You know, when you're, when you're going this extreme distance, you, you know, it's hard to really know what will stay. I mean, you're hoping Delta's going to stay. He stayed around the cross-country course. Um, you know, uh Romile Fred was second in the National Hunt chase, you know, Mount Ida won over three mile two. Um, you know, Iscaria Kent was second, Farkas was fifth in the National last year. But it, it, it's hard to know when you go to them extreme conditions what's going to stay, but um, you know, I suppose it all depends on the ground. But um, mm. all the horses are in good form, we're looking forward to it. All right, um, last on this, you can duck this question if you want, but just take out um, the prices that your horses are, varying from you know, delta work right up to, to triple figures. Is there one horse that you feel, given the weight they're carrying, that you're sending is most likely to be suited to this Grand National test? Um, I look, obviously, Delta, you know, he, he's probably the standout horse that's carrying his head we haven't raised, but I think if Delta, he gets in off 10 stone 6, um, you know, he, he's a massive price, and, 
you know, I wouldn't tell anyone I'd do if you found his way in him at a Masterpiece, you know? Ah, great, lovely. You sort of answered my second question, lovely. And and where are the horses? You know, I've read a piece today that, you know, should we be wary of Gordon Elliott form coming into the National? How are you feeling about the horses, Gordon? Ah, listen, you, you can get too much wrapped up in all these sort of things if you start going into everything. Um, you know, I think over the last three days we've had a winner and 10 horses placed. You know, I think with three seconds yesterday, we'd... we'd uh, two seconds on Friday, a lot of tours and forts. We're just hitting the crossbar probably and just, just not getting across the line. But um, it wouldn't concern me too much, to be honest. Of course, you always want to be winning, but, um, you know, we probably have to be rolling a stronger team since Cheltenham. But, uh, look, we've had a lot of placed horses over the last week or 10 days. I'd love to have more winners, but uh, sometimes you go through little spells like that, don't you? Gordon, thanks for your time. Good luck with all the runners. Thanks so much. Gordon Elliott there and Lee Mottisette, senior writer at the Racing Post, is with me, Lee, one man, looking like he, he could have almost a, a quarter of the field for the Grand National. Yeah, it is astonishing, but it's not unique. It's not the first time um, in recent seasons, Gordon Elliott, supported by Jiggins Townhouse Stud, has tended to go into the Grand National with a challenge that is strong in terms of quality, but is very much strong in terms of quantity. Uh, it, in some ways, it's an example of Gordon Elliott having learned from one of his, his mentors, Martin Pipe, um, who would often go into the big race with a huge challenge. It's 21 years ago now that Martin Pipe had 10 runners in the Grand National. So Gordon won't be making, won't be setting any records on Saturday, but he will be going in there with a, uh, a sizable chunk of the Grand National field. Very much so. Um, and a, a lot of those, as you say, are Jigginstown horses, Lee. JP McManus is going to be well represented. You know, it's, it, it's not just trainers or, or one trainer with a lot of the field. They, they don't fall between many owners. No, they don't. So if, if, we, if we look at where we are at the moment, Tom, and based on, if we base... Uh, on, 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 on what Gordon said there about plans for battle over Doyen. Um, as you said, that would leave him with eight runners. It would leave Jigginstown with six runners. Of course, Jigginstown are aiming to set a record on Saturday. No owner has ever won the Grand National on four occasions. They've won it three times so far, twice with Tiger Roll. So six for Jigginstown. Six runners are set to be owned by J.P. McManus. Four owned by the, uh, the pairing of Simon Muneer and Isaac Swade, and a couple each for Susanna and Rich Ritchie and the executors of the late Trevor Hemmings. Now, that means that 20 of the Grand National runners, half the field, will be owned by just five entities, which I think some people would say challenges the the romantic view of the grand national um and I'm, I'm i'm you know i'm sure that some people would particularly regret the fact that in jp mcmanus and jigging soundhouse stud we have owners with six runners in the race and but but equally you look at the horses that those owners are set to run and the majority of them you would say do have chances i think you can question whether whether sam crow uh, dear old Sam Crow is an obvious contender for the Grand National and that does look more like a, a horse who's been run more in hope than with any expectation. Easy's land for J.P. McManus 
has performed appallingly uh, since moving to, to Britain from France. So there are horses within their setups that you think, do they really have chances? But equally, there are other horses in the race which you would look at and say, should that horse really be in the Grand National? I mean, Poker Party has, again, performed abysmally um, in three starts this season. You, you, you'd question whether that horse really has a chance in the Grand National, but equally, it's the Grand National, and strange things happen in the Grand National. How many people would have looked at Mon Mom, a 100-1 to shot as a horse who um, was a serious player? And one of the horses I fancy this year, Tom, freewheeling Dylan, is a horse who won the Irish Grand National last year at 150-1. to so strange things do happen in these staying chases. So I don't think we should be too critical of owners or trainers who run horses who you might think uh, don't have much chance of winning. Or, albeit, as I said before, if Sam Crow wins the Grand National, I'm not quite sure how I'll explain that uh, in 800 or 900 words um, on Saturday based on, on what we know so far. What's interesting too is there are those horses just beneath the cutoff point that you would think of as major players were they to get in. So it's interesting what, what Gordon said about death duty and his hopes for death duty because, you know, you, you, one wonders if Battle Over Doyen coming out is a surefire way of just getting him in the race. Does Gordon think, looking down the other horses, that there are no obvious defectors at the moment, um, you've got at the minute horses bracketed on 43 and 44, Eclair, Surf and Fortescue, both of whom would have genuine chances if they were to get in the race. I mean, Eclair, Surf has been one of the big gambles uh, in recent days um, since the, the runaway Scottish Grand National victory um, of Win My Wings on Saturday, because of course Eclair, Surf chased and Win My Wings in the Ida at Newcastle in late February. We'll find out hopefully later today, I suspect, where Eclerserf and Fortescue stand relative to each other. They're both weighted on 10 stone six, and Martin Green with the handicap will have to determine which of those two he believes uh, should take precedence over the other. According to BHA figures, they're the same horse at the moment, but he might look at the Saturday performance to win my wings and think on, on a collateral basis, maybe Eclerserf should be nudged up a bit more. Um, if so, you just, just, so just flesh that out for us, for, for anyone wondering. So the, currently with, so Death Duty, number 41, Demand Allele, number 42. Grand National weights are both rated 144. Yes. And 43 and 44, sorry if this gets confusing, Eclair, Surf and Fortescue are both rated national-wise 143. So then it breaks down to their BHA rating. Well, Death Duty, I think, is rated £4 higher than Demand Allele. That's an easy calculation. Yeah. Eclair, Surf and Fortescue are rated the same with the BHA. So uh, something gives there. I'm not quite sure how that decision is made. Yeah, so so the, the 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 general rule of thumb is that you you have to ignore the, the the race card numbers of horses who have the same weight at this stage. Doesn't really mean anything. The fact that Eclair Surf is forty three and Fortescue is forty four doesn't mean that Eclair Surf is automatically uh, higher up the pecking order, if you like, than Fortis than Fortescue. What happens if the BHA handicapper Martin Greenwood looks at their current BHA rating? to determine which of those two horses he believes should get the nod over the other, were it to be the case that one gets in and one doesn't get in. At the moment, they're both rated 147. So they've both risen in the weights since the Grand National weights were allocated. Now, it might well be, as I say, I don't know, I have no idea this will be the case or not, that Martin Reed might look at what happened on Saturday and nudge up a clear surf again. He might not. If he chose not to, if he decides that these are still both the same horse 
on BHA figures, then you go down to a random ballot situation. If it were the case that one would be 40 and one would be 41, it will be a random ballot and one will get in and one won't get in. So, you know, we've, we, we say so often how much luck is involved in the Grand National. Well, when it comes to those two horses, luck might be a determining factor as to which of them gets in, if either of them gets in. Because hey, you look down the list of horses so far that are in the race, and there are no obvious ones apart from Battle Over Doyen, who you think they're likely to come out. That said, we're speaking now, Tom, on on Tuesday morning. The declarations are made on Thursday morning, and then you have a further window of time for reserves to get into the race. So it's still possible. Indeed, you think maybe it's still likely that amongst 40 horses, will all those 40 horses, will none of them stand on a stone between now and then? Will none of them have a minor setback? Perhaps that's doubtful. But it's certainly a sweaty palms situation for the connections of those just below the cusp, as Emma Lavelle uh, made clear on, on the pod yesterday. Ah, oh, you, you've built in my link for me, Lee. It's just, just beautiful stuff. Um, Doesn't happen by accident this time. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, but yes, you can listen to that Emma Lavelle interview in, in full from yesterday's podcast. Lee, with your journalistic hat on, who do you want to win this year's Randox Grand National? I think I know the answer. Um, well, so many good stories there. Um, I think potentially in the Grand National. I think the best story... I think it's hard to argue against Snow Leopardess. Got to be. Yeah, I mean, this is a whole... I mean, blimey, there, there are so many... Um, in, in my job, to, to, to sort of give readers a, a listener, sorry, a, a little little uh, idea of how things work, on, on Grand National Morning, um, that you have a lot of time to, to, to kill before the Grand National itself. Generally, my job on Grand National Day is just writing about the Grand National. So in previous years... I have spent some of the hours leading up to the race thinking, okay, you look at the five, six leading contenders, five, six best stories, and you think, well, what, how would I open a piece if one of those horses won a Grand National that is a, a conventional Grand National, I suppose, and nothing weird or wacky happens? And you try and frame ideas and frame lines that you might use. Now, one of the horses I will undoubtedly be thinking about on Saturday morning is Snow Leopardess, because, heck, this is a horse who is trying to win the Grand National as a mother. Um, it's an astonishing thing that we have a horse in the race who is trying to win as a horse who has already given birth, who has a, a foal on, has, a, has had a foal on the ground. Um, she will be trying to become the first grey winner for, for ages, the first mare to win for ages. She's surrounded by uh, wonderful people, the Fox Pitt family, um, who um, owned this horse, um, Marietta Fox Pitt, who, who, who bred the horse. Um, they're amazing people with an astonishing equine background. You've got Alice Plunkett, uh, the wife of William Fox Pitt, the, the superstar three-day eventer. She'll be part of the, the ITV racing team covering the contest on Saturday. Imagine the scenes if, if Alice is is being interviewed on Saturday, there may well be waterworks. Actually, we talk about um, domination of the Grand National. 5% of this Grand National field, Tom, are in some ways owned by ITV because Ollie Bell um, is also um, involved in the race uh, with, yeah, with two for goal. Yeah, so yeah, listen, this, is, this could be an ITV-dominated Grand National as well. Um, so I think Snow Leopardess is the, is the obvious, really good story. But this is the Grand National. 
And it, it, the, one of the, the wonderful things about this race is it is very, very rare indeed that a horse passes the post and you think that's a bit boring. You know, generally there is something in there that really sells the the race and the result and i would have little doubt that something will happen on saturday that will mean those of us who are at entry on saturday drive away with lots of excitement um and you know thoughts going in in our heads about what we've seen we obviously hope as ever that we have um a safe grand national one that doesn't create any negative headlines i hope we don't because it, it's it's a race that i have always adored it's always been my favorite race it's always been my favorite day of the year and i will head to rain treat with every bit as much excitement as i ever have in the past now we were going to to play you the uh, second half of the the charlie appleby big six but time constraints mean that we're going to do that for you tomorrow so um, listen out with um, nick returning on the podcast tomorrow and um, he'll be playing that out, looking at Charlie Appleby's three-year-olds this season. Um, the reason we're, we're putting that off is because uh, the croc, Jim McGrath, has uh, sent in this exclusive regarding Chris Waller. So here he is, the croc. You're joining me at the sales complex for Inglis in Sydney, at Warwick Farm and the uh, uh, outskirts of Sydney. And I'm sitting next to Chris Waller, who I've just seen uh, walking past, grabbed him. He's off to buy another multi-million dollar colt. But before he does, I want to speak to him about uh, Saturday at Randwick. What an exciting win that was, uh, Chris, with, uh, with Nature Strip. Yeah, it certainly was. Um, Nature Strip's a horse that's always on the punters and racing followers' lips. He's, um, he's an amazing horse when he gets it right, and he certainly does that in grand finals. And he was about a very wet autumn here in Sydney and it's it's just changed the form around a little bit and uh, it's been all about momentum and we took a sit on him last start which was second up um, which we've never been able to do with Nature Strip before he's only been a one trick pony he goes flat out and keeps going but now we've managed to contain that speed um, it's given us a different aspect of how he should race and makes it a bit easier so second up we took a set uh, behind Eduardo who's the horse that races him a lot and um, we couldn't quicken in the heavy ground so on Saturday just gone James McDonald barrier 11 in the field of 11 uh, just came across at his own speed his own rhythm he ended up leading uh, he got the others out of their comfort zone and he was just too good so it was great to see him bounce back it's the third time he's won the TJ uh, the Tommy Smith stakes it's called Group 1 level weight for age basically the best of the best watch down here and he's won it three years in a row now now you've been to Royal Alaska before you were famously touched off with Brazen Bow uh, and uh, probably in your mind there's a little bit of unfinished business there so did that inspire you on Saturday to actually go back with this horse back to Royal Ascot? Once you've had the experience of Royal Ascot it's uh, something quite different it's yeah it'll live with me forever my first experience there which was a great one running second and just what comes with that is something quite surreal. Um, it's the centre stage of world racing and in sport. Um, 
today or a week where everybody's watching racing and it stands tall. As we've seen through COVID, racing here in Australia has continued. Um, there's such a good vibe and a good atmosphere. Um, there's so many aspects of racing that have been dealt with uh, that might have had a grey area and it's come out with bright colours. It's, it's great. So yeah, if we could bring Australia and for my sake New Zealand, being a New Zealander as is James McDonald, we can bring Australasia to um, back to the Commonwealth in, uh, in England and um, have a great time and showcase how good our sprinters down here really are. So which goes for what? We've got Nature Strip and we've got Home Affairs, who of course was a brilliant winner of the Lightning Stakes Group 1 uh, previously, was beaten in the new market, however, obviously a, a high-class horse. Yeah, Home Affairs is, a, is the real deal. He did beat Nature's Strip first up. Um, he won the premier three-year-old sprint race over 1,200 metres down the straight at Flemington. Um, I've got a slight lean towards going the 1,200 with him. He's a really big, um, imposing horse. Very sexy, and um, yeah, I think he's a real deal. So I've just got to make sure he can switch off and settle, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next month, just educating him to just get him behind horses and get a trail. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm happy with how he's training in that, in that respect, I'd say he'd be the 1,200 and nature's trip 1,000, respecting that it's a tough 1,000 and a tough 1,200. The beauty of Nature's Trip, he's running through the line now. He used to just get there in his races. Now he's running through the line as if he's going to get further. So it's pretty good two. It's good, good um, two horses to be bringing. And uh, let's hope it's all right, yeah. Now, we're talking about horses that are in the very best category in the world at the moment. Very elegant. We have to touch on her. She runs on Saturday in the Queen Elizabeth. Last two years, she's had to finish second to a Dave. Can she go one better this time? Well, we hope so. Um, she's won the Melbourne Cup since. Uh, she's won a Group 1 race over a mile already this preparation. What we've had in Sydney, though, it's been a tricky autumn with such wet weather. It's just broken all records. Um, very heavy tracks. She's not quite as effective in it. So there's a lot of rain forecasts for this Saturday as well, too. So um, She's going as well as she ever has. It's a really good field this year. Um, it doesn't have the international exposure that it's had in the last few years, but the home homegrown horses are very good, so it'll be a good contest. We're still thinking that she could be the right horse to take to an arc, uh, because she's been so effective over 2,500 metres, um, winning Oaks, um, a race here for the Tanker Stakes, she's won a Caulfield Cup, carrying a pretty big weight, and of course the Melbourne Cup, so yeah, there's still a few decisions to make with Very Elegant, Saturday's first and foremost, and hopefully we can win the race that she hasn't yet won. So we're going to see a bit more of you in here. Well, maybe, maybe. Um, that's the beauty of international horse racing um, and having good horses. We can, we can make those decisions and perhaps um, live some lifetime dreams. Chris, thanks for talking to us on Nick Luck Daily. And uh, I've got to let you go because you've got to buy another couple of million dollar horses. Yeah, there's a few more to come yet. And um, yeah, it's a great sale. As I said earlier, the racing in Australia is going from strength to strength. Prize money's at all time. High levels. And, um, it's a pretty good place to be in the world at the moment. Uh, thanks to, to Jim for that. Um, now our, our Weatherby's segment. Here's Nick. 
All right, it's Tuesday, and that means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their excellent stallion book and the Global Stallion app. And today we visit one of the best-known national hunt studs in Ireland with Aintree just around the corner, Boardsmill Stud in County Meath. Uh, William and John Flood run the stud that's been in the family since the 1930s. So again, it's a, a real historical context here in a trip down memory lane. Four stallions currently standing at Boardsmill, and they can be seen on the go-to resource for stallion research, Weatherby's nhstallions.co.uk website. It's my pleasure to chat with John today, the grandson of the stud's founder, Jack Flood. One of the most enjoyable aspects of this segment every week, uh, John, is this link with the past and the way that you know, families have kept nurturing generations of thoroughbreds. Uh, to what extent does that really drive you and, and what you do? Uh, yeah, Nick, thanks for having us on. Um, yeah, very much so, like, there's a lot of history to the stud. Um, my grandfather, Jack, uh, was the first to stand thoroughbred stallions. He would have stood different types of stallions, draft stallions, not before that, but the first thoroughbred stallion was in 1935. Um, he carried it on through, and uh, my father, William, took over, um, and we're still going now. So, like, there's, I uh, suppose we're 80 plus years standing thoroughbred stallion so it's, it's it's a good history and it definitely definitely drives you on to try and keep it going you're four miles west of trim in, in county meath and i'm reliably informed some of the best farmland in in ireland do you do you really believe that it is it is crucial to have to have that to to grow horses of the quality that you want ah uh, yeah definitely like and i think ireland is known um most parts of ireland like it's, it's pretty good farmland um, and I suppose it's no coincidence. Um, different pockets of Ireland, like you've done between Cork and Tipperary and Wexford, Kildare, Mead, like a lot of areas where so many good thoroughbreds have been raised and grazed and, and bred. Um, that is definitely is a big advantage. Like, and uh, we're very lucky to to be situated where we are. Uh, I mean, very sadly, you you've recently lost the services of a of a great stallion for you at Calafade, who who did well in France and then in Ireland. And people think of you know the French import of of stallions as a relatively recent thing. Not so at your stud, going all the way back to the thirties. One of the the first really important stallions was was French uh, imported from France. That's true. Yeah, Jacours. We had a couple of French bred stallions way back actually, Jacour and uh, Trouville. Um, two very good stallions. Sadly, Truville died early, um, but they're they're both sires of very good horses, including Chatham Festival winners. Um, I think the the whole French bread thing goes back a long way, like even through through from different studs through uh, Rosalier and Le Bavard and different sires, like you know. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely not a new thing. I mean, do you do you actually notice any great difference in 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 horses that have been bred in France, or really is it just all the same breed? It's just about trying to 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 get the right animal. Yeah, I don't think the, the, the breed differs hugely. Like, I think the two main things that the, the French have done differently, I suppose, is the way they brought horses on earlier. Um, and the second thing, I suppose, is with the, the benefit of their Phillies programme um, was so vast, like, compared to ours or, or in England, um, especially in, uh, let's say, 10, 15 years ago, um, they were able to try a lot more of their Phillies, I suppose, to... to, to breed from the best like proven fillies like they had that advantage and i think that's no coincidence like that they've they've driven on their breed that way like by, by basically breed, breeding from the best like because they've been able to to test them and prove them like and so hopefully with the advancement of our fillies program and the same in in, in england like that we're going to be in the same position soon like where so much more fillies have have been tried and i suppose bringing the best uh, to the top like and breeding from them like and, and, and not breeding from ones who've who failed i suppose through soundness or different issues 
I mean, for for sort of national hunt nostalgists like like me and many others who listen to this podcast, you you talk talk about horses like Orchestra and Ferry Glen, who were great stalwarts of your of your stud back in the in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and and you you talk about horses who made a really significant impact and are still making a really significant impact on the stud book. I would associate those those horses with you know grand old-fashioned national hunt types is is that still something that you're very much wed to or have you had to kind of evolve slightly as as fashions have changed yeah look you you have to evolve i suppose the whole time but generally speaking you're trying to 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 try and choose a stallion you basically you think you're going to breed racehorses it sounds an obvious thing like but um it's it's very easy to get caught up in the whole modern sales fashion like and lose sight of what's going to breed a, a sound tough horse like that will be able to race on and race on for years like you know what i mean so i suppose that that hasn't differed like you know what i mean but um uh we try and identify i suppose we're limited in in, in some respects as to what we can go out and buy like uh, we I suppose one thing we're proud of is like that we've always basically owned every stallion we've stood we've owned like we've put our we've put our money where our mouth is i suppose like we have to believe in them fully like so we try and source something that we're able to buy and that we're able to promote and put our own mares behind and and and, and be happy to uh, to stand them for a long number of years like not just something in the short term to suit the, the sales ring like and, and it's it's quite interesting to me that you're quite happy to take a chance on a horse who didn't really have racecourse proven form. You know, a horse like Court Cave, for example, who's who's been a tremendous stallion with you know, Cheltenham Festival winners over hurdles and fences and, you know, all sorts over all distances. What made you think, right, OK, I'll take the plunge there. I'll, I'll take a punt. Yeah, I suppose uh, the easiest answer at the time is it times were cra- the, the time was crazy at the time of trying to get, uh, trying to purchase a stallion or a proven stallion. Um, you wouldn't, I suppose, go out looking for an unraced horse, but we knew from his background, we knew uh, Rory Mann was a good friend of Dad's who uh, manages uh, Fern Stud, which is the Judman farm for breaking all the yearlings. It's only 10 miles down the road from us. And um, he marked Dad's card that there was a horse there who had, he, he just had an injury to a fetlock. So he was a horse who was sound in every respect, like with regards wind and, and you know, everything else. But um, it just an injury to stop him from going into training. Um, we had a look. Uh, we were dubious at the time. Did we want a horse that hadn't raced? Um, Dad had done it before with uh, Bray Evan Vader, who was a good sire. Um, he, similarly enough, he was out of an Oaks winner as well. Um, and he was just, his pedigree was so good, he said, look, we'll give it a go. And um, thankfully it worked. Like it, it worked fantastically well. It would be fair to say that while you've had a tremendous amount of success, your fortune has not really been been with you in the, in the last couple of years because, you know, you've lost the, the services of, of two of your, your great stalwarts rather prematurely, really, Caliphate and... Um, yeah, beautiful horse in in Mount Nelson. You've got Poet's Word now picking up the the mantle for you. How hopeful are you that that he can really deliver on his huge reputation? Um, look, Nick, we're very hopeful. Look, we're delighted so far. Um, I mean, he's obviously he's an unproven horse. Um, he's a serious race record, which we liked, and that he was a progressive horse who basically improved year on year. He was sound, obviously very important. He was sound of his wind. 
um, just a real likeable attitude and, and we're delighted and it's a, such a big bonus that he's producing fo- folds in his mould and stamping them very well which obviously helps from a sales perspective or from a return business like because it, it's a long haul with a, a young national hunt sire obviously as you know like to get them you're, you're basically five years waiting until they have runners um, so you need to, to keep the business coming so that they have crops coming through and thankfully like he's producing really good looking folds as we've seen from the first uh, crop of ours last year and at the fall sales like um um he, he's getting really good looking falls so it's 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 a big help and um look we're delighted with how he's going so far and what i love about what you do and i've touched on this already is that you'll just you'll just slide one in out of the back of the hand that people maybe don't know everything about and i guess a horse like sunbell fits that fits that bill doesn't he yeah, definitely. Um, he's a f- he, he was a horse that just by accident came on my radar. I was in France um, actually looking at another horse and I happened to, to call by the stud where he was and I saw him and I was just taken by him. He's a presence about him and a, just a real likeable attitude and temperament and Obviously, the the Daniel Dancer thing is it was on a lot of I suppose national hunt men's radars now with the success of Jeremy. Um, I just think they're liking their handling of the softer ground is a, is a big asset for for jumping. Obviously, um, and this guy is just a fabulous temperament, and we kept we just kept annoying, and we weren't looking for a horse at the time. But when Califay passed, we 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 inquired about the possibility of buying him, and we we, we bought him at the start of last year, and uh, we're. Just really happy with again the folds he's producing. Um, his first folds from Boards Mill are falling now this year, and uh, I think we haven't actually heard of a, a fold that people aren't happy with. Like he's getting really good folds, and he himself is a, a pleasure to have with a real good temperament. And he was a good racer. He was a Group Two winner. He ran very close in the French Derby. So. Um, look, hoping we're hoping the the Daniel Dancer thing will strike again as it did with Jeremy. And and. It- Jeremy wouldn't have been a conventional uh, tip for National Hunt success, would he, back then? And uh, you're nearly 100 years old now, your stud, with, with three generations. Do you sort of look back through that catalogue and think, yeah, you know, if I, if I like something, I'll have a go at it, no matter what anybody else thinks. I'll, get, I'll give this stallion a go. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it goes back to my point about thinking in the longer term what's going to produce racehorses. Um, and if there's something there that you think that's what they should produce you won't always get it right but a likeable horse um with the, the right sire line down dam line and a, and, a, and a good looking horse like um you definitely and as i said like when we're buying them ourselves we really have to be convinced in our own minds that this is going to work and for the long term and not a short term uh fix or or, or, or short term solution to um so yeah like that's that's i suppose the, the way we approach it Thanks to John Flood there and to Nick, of course. Uh, back with Lee Mottershead, where you can send us away with a winner, please, Lee. Well, Tom, I will send you away um, with a horse called Hillview, who runs at Southwell this afternoon in the four o'clock, the Kazoo Handicap Hurdle. Hillview was awarded a race at South. Well, um, on his most recent outing, um, that continued his extremely consistent recent profile. Um, so I would suggest Hillview to win that race. Um, but uh, I shan't actually be punting myself, Tom, because I'll almost have had so many horses uh, in the Grand National by the time we get to Saturday afternoon that I have to limit my betting activity to that one race. 
Go on. Who who is the 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 one Grand National fancy at this stage, Lee? I can't give you. That's the problem, Tom. I can't give you one Grand National fancy. So so far, um, my 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 list of horses is any second now is my 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 solid one. Um, I guess he's the one. I really think has got um, an obvious chance. Uh, clearly was going very well last season when he was hampered early on. I think he has a massive shout. Uh, I've backed Cloth Cap as well, hoping the rain doesn't come for him. Um, I've backed to Claire Surf, although I've major doubts about him getting into the race. And my one of the big prizes, free wheeling Dylan, um, because I thought he, there was no fluke about his Irish national win last season and he was still going well when he was very unfortunate to unseat his jockey in one of the cross-country races at Cheltenham this term uh, and again and he's got a big chance but having heard Gordon Elliott Tom I'm going to have to play on Death Duty as well it's getting silly well Death Duty is my one now Lee I've got to say one, one after, after Gordon's comments earlier one for the Shrewdies probably won't get a run now there we are um, that is it Lee thank you very much thanks to everyone at home for listening um, intention very much for Nick to be back tomorrow on the eve of the Grand National Meeting at Aintree. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.